Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 22. We're not going to read all those. I want to go to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read 11 and 12, and then we'll get right into it. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11 says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the, the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. As we study your word, there's some principles in here that Moses goes through that we need to get. It's all right to question. We just got to listen to the answer. It's all right to not understand everything because that's what faith is all about. And here you're asking this man to do a very big task. He's just got some four simple questions. And there's some principles that go behind that, that we see in the Scripture from you. May we apply these in our life and may we be different for it. Lord, may we understand that you have something for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've entitled this, The Questions and the Plan. Aren't you glad that you can question God, but there's still a plan for your life, right? So, when I was thinking about this, you know how plans change in your life? You ever had a, a plan change in your life? I'm not talking about a vacation trip where you went the wrong way. I'm just talking about something that's major. When I was growing up, I, I, I played all different types of sports. I'm going to give you a little history of my basketball um, tonight. tonight. And, as I, and maybe you don't understand basketball, but if you do understand basketball, you understand what I'm about to say. When I was in high school, I'm so old that we did not have a three-point line. Okay? Some of you go, really? They had that? And no, I did not shoot in a peach basket. Okay? But we did not have a three-point line. And there were some other things I was thinking of. We did jump balls rather than possessions. If you watch basketball now, they do that. And we had a free throw. At the free throw line, we got underneath the basket in that first block. Now they don't do that. They move everybody back because they don't want people to get hurt. I was, looking, I was thinking about that as I was, I was preparing for this. I don't remember anybody getting hurt on that. But they moved them back and they changed the rule a little bit about that. So when I was in high school, I played forward. If you're a lady in here or a man in here, you don't understand basketball, that means the down post. That's the one they throw the ball to you, try to slash, and you try to make a basket. And you're also there to get the rebounds when your guards can't shoot very well. And so I was in there, and I was a forward when I was in high school. And I was actually a forward all the way through it. And then I went and played basketball, college basketball, up in Michigan. And I, got, I, I went there for one semester, and I transferred schools. When I transferred schools, I got sick, and I had walking pneumonia. If you've ever had walking pneumonia, it takes a long time to get over it. It's hard to run, it's hard to do things, hard to walk sometimes. And for, those th for that year and a half, I didn't play anywhere. I played pickup games and I played for my collegian down in Pensacola. But I, re I remember sometimes I'd start playing it and my chest would hurt because of the walking pneumonia. But something happened that day, th th that, that year and a half span. When I graduated from high school, I, I was six foot two. And two years later after high school, I was six foot five. So I grew almost three inches in a year and a half. So in my mind, a forward with a basketball team is the taller players. And then the center is, of course, the tallest. And so I thought when I transferred schools and I went to another school in Florida and I was there to play basketball, I thought for sure, because in the past I had played the down post, the big guy, that growing three inches that I would be there. So I started playing basketball with this team and all of a sudden I realized that there were some guys my height, a few of them that were taller than me, and the coach asked me a very difficult question. He said, 
I don't want you to play forward. I weighed 165 pounds soaking wet. So I didn't have any weight to me. You know, I was telling the, the people at um, Brookdale yesterday that I couldn't gain weight. I was eating these cookies that had 200 fat grams in them, and I was eating three or four of them a day. There were oatmeal cookies to gain weight. And I would just, I would eat those and nothing would happen. What happened is I read the package later and it said, this will affect you in 30 years, and it sure has, amen? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I used to eat Twinkies and everything, and... And then all of a sudden, I wouldn't gain any weight. I walk by the hostess Twinkies and I can feel my, my hands swelling and I'm gaining weight as we go by. So I thought, he tells me, he sits me down, he says, Wagner, he said, I want, to listen, I want you to listen to me on this. I don't need you to be a forward. And I thought, that's all I've played, that's all I know. And they had just inter introduced in college, the college had three-point lines. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to shoot three-pointers three anyway, I'm going to be a forward. When he sat me down, he says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to try out for a different position. I thought, okay, I don't think I'm tall enough for center. And these other guys weigh a lot, they're a lot more than me and they can do this better than I can. He said, I want you to be point guard. I was like, say what? Point guard is the person that brings the ball down and then shoves it off to the other, passes off to the other people. I wasn't known for my dribbling ability. I was known for passing, but not dribbling. And you... You talk about a plan in my life that had changed. I remember when I called my dad and mom and said, listen, I'm not playing forward anymore, I'm playing point guard. I had the privilege on our team, we had three guys that could dunk any way they wanted, I had the privilege of throwing the alley-oop to them all the time. And I think the thought process in the coach was that if I got open, I could see over the guys guarding me, because the other point guards in our league were not six foot five. They were 5'10", five, 5'8", five, and I could see right over them. And I remember throwing some alley-oops, and I thought, I really like this. I get to throw the ball to these people, and then I get to run down the court and play some defense. Well, I thought, okay, that's the plan that God, that, that God has for me for basketball. I remember telling my wife, my, not, my, not my wife, my, my mom and dad. Two years later, I'd played two years for a point guard, and the coach brings me in. And when he brought me in, it was almost the same location on the couch. He says, I need you to do me a favor. I was like, oh no, I remember what you said last time. What, am I going to be water boy with this thing? He said, I want you to be off guard. I was like, off guard? Why do you want me to be off guard? He said, because we've got a guy coming in that's Mr. Jacksonville, and he's really good at point guard. And you know, as, as I reflected on all these changes that I did, it wasn't anything that I was expecting. It was God trying to teach me, don't get settled in where you're at. But I remember I worked hard for that and hard for that. That's a whole different position and you have to learn all the different spots and you have so many different plays. You go from high school, you have about five or six different plays. To college, we had a 30 different plays. They were all, all coded with numbers. They were coded, And you have to decipher them as you're trying to play the game. And so I ended up trying out for that, that off guard. I ended up getting it. I started every year that I played. But it wasn't my plan. I wanted to just kind of sit back and figure out where I was. But you know, the, the, the story, and it's not even remotely close to the story of Joseph, but Joseph's life was like that. Joseph never knew what was going to happen in his life. And I could see Joseph's coach sitting down and saying, listen Joseph, this is what's going to happen. See, he starts out with a coat. What happens after that? He gets thrown in a pit. Then he's sold as a slave, and everything seems to be working fine, and he's like, okay, then he's doing everything right. And he is a righteous man, 
And then he's thrown into prison. He didn't know what was happening, didn't know when it was going to happen, and this is exactly how his life was. Then what happens? He's thrown into prison, and he, and he interprets a dream, and the guy said he's going to remember him, and then all of a sudden, for sake of review, what happens? He forgets about him. Then finally he gets out, and then he meets Pharaoh. His life was topsy-turvy, and his plan probably was not that. He probably, when he told his brother, said, listen, I have a dream, and you're going to bow down to me, he never dreamed how he was going to get there. Now Moses is a different person. And I love that I see that God cared for Moses as much as He did for Joseph, and He didn't treat Moses the same way. Almost, you can almost see that God is trying to make Moses' confidence go up. He treats me and He treats you different. He treats you and your spouse different. That's how God works, because He understands individuals. But as you look, at, you look at Moses, Moses wasn't like that. In Exodus 3, you see God's plan. A future plan, and, and then you see, you, you see He makes Moses aware of it. And I want to show you these as we go through this. I'm going to ask you to, to just look at these questions that come out that he asks. He asks four questions in two verses to God. God's talking to him. The first question is, you want me to go see Pharaoh? Go to verse number 11. And it says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? He understood what that meant. He's questioning, You want me to go see him? And the second question he asks is, You're going to have me bring them out? Look at the next verse in verse 11. It says, And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Question mark. Now the last conversation he had with the Israelite was, You're the guy that killed that guy. Are you going to kill me too? I wonder if that played in his mind as he's going, but these are some of the questions. The third question is this. He asks God, what is your name? He turns around in the same verse, he asks a fourth question. Look in verse number 13. He asks a question, he says, um, what is your name? And then he says this, what shall I say unto them? He's thinking a little bit better with, this, with what he's going to say to the Israelites. He says, what is your name? And what am I going to tell them? So here's your four questions that Moses had. And they're good questions. He's trying to understand why he's going to do this. He doesn't understand how he's going to go in front of Pharaoh. He doesn't understand about the bringing him out. But God has a plan for that. And he's about ready to show Moses what he's going to do. So let's look. And, and I don't want to scare you because we're going to go through these really quick. There are ten principles in this next story that we're going to look at. And these are the plan that Moses had that God had for Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And we all know this, but I want you to think this through as we go through this. Go to verse number 12 and you'll find the first question. It says, God is going to be with us. Look at 12, it says this. And Moses questions him in the first one and says, um, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And look what Moses said. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. That's comfort food to a Christian. The first thing he says, he's like, okay, how am I going? To, you think about this. The two questions he asks is, I got to go to, in front of Pharaoh, question mark, and I got to lead these people out? And what's God's first response back to him? He didn't answer either one of those two questions, but he did in a way. He said, listen, I'm going to be with you. Everything's going to be okay. Isn't that great to know? God's going to be with you. Keep going in verse number 12. 
Not only is He going to be with Him, and God is going to be with Him, He's going to be with us. Look at verse number 12 again, and it says, And certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And the next question is this, when you get out, you need to serve God. Now, when he's talking to Moses here, he's prophetic about what Moses is going to do. It didn't say when you possibly get them out. He says when you get them out, and don't underestimate that statement, there are millions of Jews. And Egypt had one thing that was built up in, in Joseph's time, it had a large army. Had all the modern technologies, had nice roads because the Jews built it. And he says in this, he says, when you get out, you need to serve God. And he's saying, he's, he's, he's telling him, when you get out, you're going to come back right where you're at and you need to serve God there. Great principle, isn't it? When you get out, you need to serve Him. Keep reading in verse number 13, and it says this, it says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come, out, come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto him, The God of your fathers hath sent me out unto you, and they, they shall say to me, What is your name? What shall I say unto them? And he says this, he says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. In verse number 14 and 15, it's this. God is the I am. When we doubt anything, God is the I am. I brought a little bit about this out on Wednesday, but this is the word Yahweh that they don't even know how to say it because it is so sacred to them that they don't even whisper the words to it. Jewish people did not used to do that. It's, it's pronounced with four, we, we've talked about this, it's got four um, consonants in it, no vowels. And we just pick it up and we say Yahweh. But in this, in this aspect, he's saying, I am everything to you. Now you think about that. What do we have that is everything to us? You say, well, our children are. Not really. Can your children let you down? Oh yeah, absolutely they can. Can God let you down? No. He's your everything. When you have a problem, who's the first one you're supposed to talk to? Him. You know, I like to share things with my wife, but the first person I should bring, my petition should not be to my wife, my petition should be to God. And watch how he answers this. God says in this, he says, I, I am, we'll read this verse, verse number 14. It says in verse 14, it says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he saith, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Keep reading verse 15. Moreover, and God said, Moreover unto Moses, thou shalt th Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. It's interesting how he breaks this down. He says, Unto thy fathers. Okay, go back when he starts talking to Moses and see how he breaks it down. In, in verse, number, um, verse number 15, it says, Thou shalt say unto them, the children of Israel, the Lord God of, what's the next word? Your fathers. 
It's, it's him telling him what to say. But when God talked, when he talks to him the first time, look, jump over a, a couple verses before that and go to verse number six. He makes it more personal to Moses. Moses doesn't know why this bush is talking. And he says who he is. And look at verse number six. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father. So he changes from thy father to their father or your father because he wants them to understand that this God of Moses is the God of them. And when you look at this, this principle, God is the God of I am. His name is I am. He is supposed to be everything for us. And so often, we put Him on the back burner. So often when something happens, we try to figure it out and then we ask Him. So often we try to get our personality to maybe pull us through. Maybe our, our what, I, what some people call steadfast or stubbornness to get us through. Meanwhile, God's just sitting back there and saying, listen, I am the I am. And I am everything that you need. You don't need any more than, I, than, than what I have. You're all, I am all that you need. And mark this down, when He says this to them, they're going to need the I am to get out of Egypt. It's not going to be an easy principle. So the fourth one is this. God sees what people go through. Where you get that from? Go to verse number 16. It says in verse number 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, appear unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. You know, there's sometimes you just sit back and go, do you, God, do you even see what I'm going through? You ever been discouraged with that? Maybe it's a health issue and maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's just a personality conflict that you're having. And you just look back and go, do you even see me, God? Well, my verse tells me this, that God sees what people go through. Isn't that great to know? No one else is going to say, amen, I am. Amen, God, it's good to know that God knows what I'm going through. You know what I can tell you this too? God knows what you're going to go through this next week. It's just not now, and it's just not the past. He, he knows what you're going. He knows your emotional state. Now remember, when Joseph went through all these things, he didn't tell Joseph. It was almost—I don't know if you've ever heard the word "sucker punch." He was almost sucker punched every time. He's like, "Where did that come from?" Now Moses, he treats Moses totally different. Now, do you ever picture yourself and talking to Moses, or maybe you, I shouldn't say that I do, but I, I don't talk to him, but I think if I were to talk to Moses, what would I ask him? And by the way, Moses and Noah look very similar in my mind. Noah's just a little bit thinner. I don't know why, maybe all the work that he did on that boat. But as I think about Moses, I think about how God laid it all out. Because in Moses' case, if God saw what they went through, God saw what he went through. And it took him 40 years to get where he needed to be. So God sees what we go through. Now this next part. God knows battles are coming. We read the Bible and we just go, oh, that's nice. Kind of talked about this last Wednesday. But um, look at this, look at this um, aspect of it. Go to verse number 17. 
And here he's talking to him again. He just said that it's done to you in Egypt. Then he says, and I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of the Egypt unto the land. Now, if he would have ended with there, that's okay. He's going to get him out of Egypt and everything's going to be okay. But you've got to understand when you study this, that God has brought people in front of them to build buildings for them, to do things for them, to make cities for them. Some cities they destroyed. Other things they used. But when we read this, we go, okay, wow. The Canaanites, remember I talked about them? They were very civilized. The Hittites, now the Amorites, they were barbarians. They were not civil. And so, as I pointed out on Wednesday, when you fight a battle against a civilized organization, you fight different than you fight with one that's not. Let me give you an example. When we fought the Revolutionary War, the British fought a certain way. If you ever watch those pictures, they stand in a line wearing red outfits. Hey, it's got shoot me written all over it. But then you go to Korea, Vietnam, Afghanistan, they're not civilized. They don't fight the same way, staying in a line. Everything's different. But we read these things and we say, oh man, there's just, there's seven of them. Each one of them was a nation. Look what it says. Unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now when I read that, you've got to read this into it. They were going to have to fight them because they were not going to give them their land. They were going to have to destroy them. So God, in His sense, is telling Moses, there are battles coming. You need to be prepared. In the same, same, same verse, there's something else in here, that God will bless us. Because at the very end of this verse, it goes through all these lists of these, these um, heathen and pagan nations, and then it says you're going to be in the land where what? Milk and honey flow. How many of you could live on a milk and honey diet? Amen? I don't think I could. But here, that's telling us that God will bless us. He's going to give them this. God wants us to stand up for Him. Verse number 18, He says, And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, and the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we, will, we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Now, now, now he's telling Moses that you need to stand up for God in front of Pharaoh, the same organization that wanted to kill you. This was not just something simple for Moses to do. In fact, I would have been scared, you would have been scared, but Moses had to rely on this burning bush talking to him and telling him that he was God. Out of all the verses that are found in this scripture, in this, in this verse, the next one is probably the most confusing one too. Because why would you tell Moses that? You've just told him in verse number 18, you need to go in front and stand in front of Pharaoh. But verse 19 changes gear a little bit. And see, this is where you know that God is telling Moses exactly what's going to happen to you every step of the way. But he doesn't give him all the details. But look at verse number 19. God wants us to understand rejection, but not quit. Verse number 19. 
So God tells him in verse number 18, it's a different thought in verse number 19, but verse number 19 says, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. So he just told Moses that you're going to go talk to Pharaoh, and now he's going to say, hey, Pharaoh's not going to let you go, but I still want you to go. Have you ever had one of those salesmen go to, come to your door? I'm not going to tell you which vacuum came to our door and they were going to sell us something. There was a certain vacuum that came to our door when we were in um, Illinois. And this guy pulls up and he, he get, comes in and he tells us what it's going to cost and says, sir, we, we can't spend that much money on a vacuum. What are you talking about? I can go to Walmart and get one for 30 bucks. He said, but it won't do what mine does. I said, but if I bought 100 vacuums at $30, I'd, it'd still be cheaper than what you're trying to sell me this vacuum for. And so he started tearing up things and saying, okay, this is, not the, this is not the contract. And he starts working his way down. We had a hard time getting him out of our house. Then he made this statement. He said, if you buy this, I get to go on a vacation. I thought, well, that's not a good incentive for me. To, that means I'm paying for your vacation." And I was at the point of just getting really upset at him. And when he said that, I looked out the window and I looked at his, at his convertible BMW that was brand new and I didn't start feeling sorry for him anymore. And I remember he started throwing papers on the floor and finally just walked out in disgust. And I thought, what planet are you from? We've all been there. When you have rejection, what happens? How do you respond to it? See, he doesn't tell him it's going to be ten times. He doesn't tell him that it's going to destroy the nation. Because we'll go through the ten plagues and you see it destroys Egypt. Everything Joseph built up, it destroys. Financially, everything it destroys. The last one was what? The death angel. Not only is it going to kill the people that don't do it, it's going to kill the animals that are the firstborn. Just devastating things. And every time he goes in there, he asks, let my people go. And what, is, what, is, what does he say? He hardens his heart. No. God had to get Pharaoh where he needed to be to get Moses where he needed to be. So we have God wants us to understand rejection. And then this, verse number 20. In verse number 20, God will fight for us. Look at verse number 20. It says, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof, and after that, he will let you go. <laughs> I wonder every time he goes up and knocks on the door, I wonder if this is the time that he's going to say, Okay, I'm going to let you go. So you've got all these principles. We've got one more, and that's verse number 21 and verse number 22. Interesting portion of Scripture, verse 21 and 22 says this, and this is the last one, And I will give this people favor, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. This shall come to pass, when you go, ye shall not go empty. They were not only going to bring themselves, they were going to bring their animals, but they were going to bring something else. And it's told in this story. Keep reading in um, verse number... 21 and you'll see 22 and you'll see what happens but every woman shall borrow of her neighbor 
and have her sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. You shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and you shall spoil the Egyptians. Now, I've heard people say, well, they're stealing things. No, they're not. That is not what this means when it says the word borrow. It's actually referring back to being paid for what they had worked for. It was a back pay that they had not gotten paid for. So they went and they asked people, you know, hey, these people had lost everything. Gold and silver was not worth much at that point because they didn't have anything. They were, they were in their sorrow and grief, and sure enough, the Egyptians, got all the, the Egyptians turned all these things into them, and they left. And so God will not allow us to go away empty. So that's the last of the, 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 the presentation up here, but I want you to look at these ten real quick. If you're not thankful for these things in your life, I don't know where you are. Because these ten principles up here are not only what happened to the Israelites and what happened to Moses, but it's what happens in our life. And let's reflect on these, just for a second. Aren't you thankful that God's with you when you go through things? Man, He is. I'm telling you, He is. You need to look up and see what He's done. The second thing is when you get out, you better serve God no matter where you're at. You say, well, listen, I'm not old enough to serve God. I've got to wait until I'm 50. I've got to wait until I'm 60. That's not how it works. You serve God where you're at. Wherever you're at, serve the Lord. Look at the third one. God is the God of I am. He is the answer to every one of our prayers. He's the answer to every one of our problems. And watch this. He's the answer to every one of our questions. He will help you through this. We're studying this in Sunday school. That You know why sometimes we don't have wisdom? Because we don't ask for it. The Bible says that He'll give it to us liberally if we ask for it. And so we've got to understand what God has for us. Number four, God sees what people go through. We've got to quit being the woe am I. You know what I call them? Eeyore Christians. What am I going through? Why am I doing this? What's God going to do for me? I've got to find my tail. It's what Christians go through all the time. And you know some of the most, most blessed Christians I know are the ones that are going through the most and yet you can't tell it. Because they understand this principle. God knows what you're going through. How many of you believe God knows what you're going through? He does. I mean, He knows exactly. He knows what's going to happen next week. He does. He knows the expenses you're going to have to pay. He knows, what's going to ha- he knows what kind of mail you're going to get this week. Daniel does this app on his phone. How many of you do this so you know what mail you're getting? Does anybody do that? Okay, there's one. Raise your hand if you do that. Raise your hand. I didn't even know that existed. And he'll, he'll say, look what I'm getting in the mail today. It's a picture of all the envelopes that's coming in. Well, that's not the way I want it to be. I want to open up and be surprised every time I open the, the mailbox. It's like, Christmas every day! I want to be happy. And when there are bills, I just give them to my wife. And I get the checks and keep the checks. Give her the bills. That's what happens. I mean, if you know a bill's coming, doesn't that make, does that make you feel well? Ellen, when you get that bill, going, oh, I'm getting a bill today. Praise the Lord, I get to go to my mailbox. Now what she does, she goes out, flips the flag up, and hopes they take it away from her. God knows what you're going through. God knows what battles are coming. He does. He knows from all, on all fronts. All different. Sometimes it might be a barbaric barbarian country that you're going to have to fight. 
It might be a civilized country. God knows whether to annihilate them or God knows whether just to take care of them and maybe you use them later. Because that's exactly what Solomon did. In the story, the last two that are listed in this, in this list become slaves for Solomon. Jewish people go in there, they take them over, there, there's some that, that survive, and they end up being slaves. They actually help build the tabernacle. Number, set, number, number six is this, God will bless us. Just look around and see that, that God's blessing you. Don't be half empty. Be half full. Sometimes we get frustrated when we're at a restaurant and, and our water goes all the way down or our drink goes all the way down. There's a lot of people that would give anything to just eat at a restaurant. There's a lot of people that would give anything to just wear what you're wearing, to drive what you're driving, to have what you have. We have been blessed. Number seven, God wants us to stand up for Him. He does. He wants us to stand up for Him. He wants us to stand in front of the, the powerful people and the unpowerful people. And he asked, he asked Moses to stand up. The, the next one, number eight, is the one I think we really need to gear on. God wants us to understand rejection but not quit. You know, passing out these um, brochures for our upcoming hometown heroes, I've not had anybody reject them. In fact, um, there's a police officer, sheriff's department that was at the gas station. And I, let me tell you this too. Don't walk or run towards a police car, okay? Use some common sense, okay? If you're running to them, while they taser you, hold out the card and show it to them. What I did is I stood my distance, I waited for him to acknowledge me, he rolled down his window, I went up and I handed them this, and I said, I'd really like for you to come. And I just showed him the front cover. Front cover says, Hometown Heroes. But you know, someday that little rascal's going to flip that card over and it's going to show them the plan of salvation. We need to show, we need to stand up for who God is. The next one, God will fight for us. Now, He might not fight the way you want Him to fight, but He'll fight the right way. Because we don't always fight the right way. We think we know better and we don't know better. But God always knows better. And look at the last one. God will not allow us to go away empty. You know what I refer to that with? We get to heaven. If we've done what we need to do, guess what? We're going to have stuff to hand it, put at Jesus' feet. We're not going to go away empty. I don't want to go to heaven just on my salvation and salvation alone. I want to be able to give Him some rewards. Now, I don't, I don't go to heaven from the rewards, but you know what? It would be sure nice to put Him at His feet and say, this is what I did for you. And He's not going to walk away. He's not going to let us walk away and we're going to be empty-handed. He knows exactly what we need every step of the way. Now watch this. He treated Joseph and Moses two different ways. You know why he did that? Because he knew the men. And he knew what they could handle. And he, knew, he knows what you, hand, you can handle. And he'll only give you what you can handle. 